Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, and can be found on, the, on your New Testament, page 114, in your pew Bible. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During these Sundays of Lent, we are focusing on words that Jesus spoke from the cross. All the Gospels record last-minute instructions, words from Jesus, but they don't agree as to what they were. And so we began by looking at Luke's account of that day, remembering how he started by asking God to forgive those who had put him on the cross. And then last week, listening in, as he said to one of the thieves crucified adjacent to him, Today, you will be with me in paradise. We'll come back to Luke's gospel as this series draws to a close on Maundy Thursday, but today we turn to the fourth gospel. Meanwhile, John said, standing near the foot of the cross was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. All of the gospel authors record that women were present for the crucifixion, but only John says they were at the foot of the cross. All the others say they were watching from a distance. And he is the only one who identifies one of the women as being Jesus' own mother. He is also the lone gospel record that accounts of a disciple being present in that moment. All the others depict the twelve in hiding, or in the case of Judas, dead. But John says that standing next to his mother was the disciple whom he loved. We're not exactly sure who that man was. Many scholars think it was the Apostle John, the traditional author of the gospel bearing his name. And if that's true, maybe the reason that he's never called by name is because John thought it would be too uncomfortable or boastful to say, I was standing next to Mary too. Whatever the reason for the lack of clear identity, what we know about the one whom Jesus loved is that he was present at all the key events in those final hours. He was the one who turned to Jesus at the Last Supper and asked who was the betrayer, 
He was the one who followed Jesus after his arrest and through connections that aren't clear to us, got Peter inside the courtyard of the high priest. And he was the one on Easter morning to whom Mary Magdalene ran and along with Peter told them the amazing news of an empty tomb. Thus, whenever we read in John's gospel of the disciple whom he loved, it's kind of a shorthand for depicting the first among equals in terms of faithful presence to the end, including his courage in being present at the cross. When Jesus saw that the one whom he loved standing next to his mother, he said to her, woman, this is your son. And to him, he said, this is your mother. Keep in mind that when Jesus spoke those words, his hands were nailed to the cross, which means that it was either with a turn of his head or his eyes that he had trusted his mother into the care of this beloved disciple. And our text ends with the words that from that day, he took her into his own home. Now, as is always true of scripture, so are there many faithful ways that we can respond to this brief scene. Many of the commentaries I read pointed out that among Roman Catholic scholars, the emphasis tends to fall on Mary, as from this point she is depicted as a kind of new Eve, whereas Protestant theologians tend to focus on the beloved disciple as a kind of symbol for the church. Your response might have been one of simply capturing the poignancy of a son who's about to die, making sure that his mother will be cared for. A reminder of our call to nurture those relationships throughout our days, too. Still others might focus on this event as the basis for a tradition in present-day Turkey, pointing to sites where it is purported that Mary and John spent their final years. When I preached on this same text in November, I started with that point of connection and built upon it. But today, as I was looking at this scene again, I was more struck with how that whole passage came to a close than we read. From that day, he took her into his own home. Now, you should know, I'm not someone who regularly disputes the scholarly conclusions of those who provided this translation for us. And yet, I learned this last week from a Roman Catholic and from a Protestant theologian that the word home doesn't actually appear in the original text. And that instead, what it says is that the beloved disciple took her into his own, which suggests that more than creating a new family relationship for his mother, that that moment might also have been the start of something far more enduring. Jamie Clark Souls, professor of New Testament at the Perkins School of Theology, was the first one who raised that possibility for me. She said, the word home does not appear in the Greek. 
The last phrase is, what was his own? Mirroring the opening chapter to this gospel, when John said of Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. The passage ends, she says, with Jesus bestowing the Spirit upon the church born at the foot of the cross. Roman Catholic scholar Raymond Brown concurs when he says, what is peculiar to the beloved disciple, what is his own, is neither his house or spiritual space, but the fact that he is the disciple par excellence. His own is the special discipleship that Jesus loves. The fact that the mother of Jesus is now the disciple's mother and that he has taken her to his own is a symbolic way of describing how one related to Jesus by flesh, his mother, who is part of his natural family, becomes related to him by the Spirit as a member of his ideal discipleship. In other words, that on that day, perhaps Jesus started the church. Now, traditionally, we understand that beginning as the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends upon a gathering of the disciples and pierces tongues of fire. But to look at this scene differently suggests that maybe it was even at the cross that Jesus began that kind of family, not simply the one between his mother and the disciple, which invites us to consider what it means to be one of his own, not John's, but God's. Now, we won't settle that question today, but that's where I'd like for us to turn and to ponder what that means what that looks like for us to claim our identity as one of God's own. True story is told of a teenager who went to his pastor's office one Saturday morning. He was part of the confirmation class that would be joining the next day and was the only member of the class who would also be baptized in that moment. And so his pastor wanted him to come by so she could talk to him more about the significance of baptism and to prepare him for that part of the service too. So he came into our office that day, straight from soccer practice, sweaty, smelly, swung his legs on the chair as she began to describe for him the theology and practice of baptism. And after she had finished her explanation, he said to her, well, I'm going out to a lake with my friends this afternoon What's to keep me from getting baptized there? And she reached for another book to describe why it is typically baptisms happen not at the lake on a Saturday afternoon, but in a church on Sunday morning. And as she was reaching for it, she thought to say, how would people know that you have been baptized if it doesn't happen in the church? And without a moment's hesitation, the boy responded, by the way I act, of course. Without using the same verbiage, he was naming what it means to be one of his own. That part of what we accept in identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus 
is that we will seek to learn and emulate his teachings in how we live. Momentarily, two sets of parents will present their daughter to receive the sacrament of baptism. And it's a, a time for us as well to ponder again what it is that we are claiming in identifying ourselves as one of his own. Certainly, at least part of it is this acknowledgement that Jesus has the kind of life for which we have been called and the kind of existence we are seeking. Earlier in the same gospel, he said that he had come to earth so that they, so that humankind, might have life and that it might be abundant. And so part of what we understand in abundant existence is that when we are able to follow Jesus' model and teaching, when we're able to offer deeds of compassion or forgiveness or in some other way reflect what he would have us do, that we experience the kind of abundant life for which we have been made. And yet the fact that Jesus spoke those words from the cross is also a clear reminder that our life as his disciples will not be pain-free. And that instead, there may well be these moments of great difficulty when that bond is strengthened as never before. For the last 17 months, my niece and her husband have been the guardian for two young children. When they first received those children, brother and sister, the boy was 11 months old and the girl was three weeks of age. And they were starting a journey as foster parents because the birth parents were unable truly to provide for and care for their little ones. And I know that my perspective is biased, but I, I want to say they were amazing in that. They became instant parents, and, and so they had to adjust the things that all first-time parents have to face, sleepless nights, of how your plans get changed at the spur of the moment. But they loved those children. They fed them, they clothed them, they, they bathed them, they read to them, they played with them, they took them to the doctor, and all the while, not knowing how this journey would turn out. For me, seeing it through their experience was a whole new way of appreciating the amazing gift that foster parents give, including ones in our congregation. They knew as they started that process that the goal was of those children with their birth parents. And yet as the months went by, it certainly occurred to them that maybe, just maybe, we might be able to adopt these two. They are devoted Christians, my niece and her husband, very active in their home church. And yet, as much as they wanted that outcome, their most consistent prayer was for God's will to be done, even if it wasn't what they would have chosen themselves. Pretty amazing. And on Wednesday of this past week, there was to be a court decision. 
On that morning, my sister, who was in town with them, posted a photo, sent it to Lori and me, of a sign that was outside the door of those two toddlers, who, for emotional purposes, really were her grandchildren. And as my niece's husband had written a single word on a post-it note, and the word was simply, God's. Hours later, they learned that those children would be returned to their birth mother. And two days later, they went through that painful journey as now both those children and those foster parents move into a different future as God's own. It was on another Friday long ago that Jesus entrusted his mother to the care of that beloved disciple, marking the start of a new future for the two of them. And I believe that as part of those words, he not only created that relationship, but this family of faith that endures to this day, revealing that whether at the foot of the cross or walking out of a courtroom, that our task is always, always to care for one another. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the ways that you are ever at work and for the blessing that we saw from that cross of a new relationship that your son created. We pray that you will help us grow in our ability to offer and to follow your will as we always care for your own. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.